Hello everyone and welcome to episode 7 of For Those About to Pod, we salute you, the classic rock podcast. In this episode we look back at 1992 in My Year in Rock, we look at the latest rock news, gig memories and hidden gems. If you like what you hear, check us out at Facebook or on Twitter at 4 underscore salute. So without further ado, here's my podcast partner, Mr. Brian Maley. How you doing, Brian? I'm good, Matt. How are you, mate? I'm okay. Thank you. Uh, nice to see your smiling face, as always. And yours as um, well, too. So um, what has caught your eye, Brian? That's a catchphrase that I was trying to <laughs> launch last time. I'm not sure how it's going, but we'll, 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 uh, we'll see how it goes. What's so caught, what's your, caught eye, your eye, Brian? Brian? Mm, exactly. Yeah, well, we're into, uh, we're kicking into 2021. So lots of new releases from uh, our dear friends in Frontier Records. Two albums come out, mm. have come out, not this week, but the back end of last week, uh, which will interest some of our listeners. Um, I'll kick off with the first album, which is uh, from a band called Wet. So for our Swedish podcast listeners, as which we have which we have some, so thanks for our Swedish mm. listeners. So Wet is a, it's a Frontiers Records project band. It comprises of three main players from bands called Work of Art. So that's Robert Saul, Eric Martinson from Eclipse, and Jeff Scott Soto, Matt, that you and I both know, who was the singer in mm. Talisman. But obviously, Jeff I- was in the Ingvi. J Malmstein, let's not forget the J. Um, don't forget the J. Don't forget the J. Uh, and he, yeah, and he was in Journey as well too. So Sons of Apollo. Yeah. Sons of Apollo, Journey, Soto the band. Yes. Um, yeah, You've good singer, isn't he? I like him. Yeah. I have, he's great. I like oh, him. He's, he's a big lad. It, it always reminds me of like a, <laughs> an American, <laughs> he's a big, he's a big fella. And it always reminds me a little bit of a, an American Nathan James or the other way around. All right. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is. You're right. He's, he, he's a he's a powerful bloke. So, uh, mm. so yeah, they've been going since 2008. So they've got it's their fourth album, which has come out. It's called Re Retransmission. Uh, all I would say is eleven tracks, really well produced album. Um, I had a good listen to it over the weekend. I love it. Uh, it's it's a great album, and it's not all about Jeff singing. Um, the other guys who are from, um, you know, Eclipse. Uh, I know you've you've listened to some of the Eclipse stuff. Yeah, um, it's really good. Yeah. Really strong album. Uh, I was really impressed with what I heard. So hopefully people can go and listen to that. And let us know what they think. Mm. Another album which dropped last week was mm. the new album from um, our friends, the Dead Daisies. Ah, yes. Yes. Fronted so, by your, your man, Mr. Glenn Hughes, of course. Mr. Glenn days. Hughes. So mm. um, I can remember when the single came out, Righteous Days. Um, so the, the album Holy Ground was released um, a few days ago. I've had a listen. I, I'm a bit of a Glenn fan, as you, uh, as you know. So mm. it sounds like good rockin' Glenn. Uh, he's in good voice. The band, you know, obviously we've talked about... The Dead Daisies before it's pretty much financed and managed uh, mm. uh, through but through David Lowey, but Doug Aldridge is on it. He's playing seriously great guitar, and Dean Castronova uh, is on it playing drums. Who's phenomenal drummer, great singer as well. I've had a listen to the Holy Ground album. It's great. It's Glenn. Right. I can't believe 
Glenn must be ninety. <laughs> I think he is at least, if not if not older. Yeah, and he's singing and really he's, good. He, he is, isn't he? He's one of those rare characters that has got not quite better with age, but he's maintained, he's kept the same standard. And um, I mean, it's not always the case, and that's no fault of the the singers themselves, because as you get older. You know your vocal cords thicken up, and the yeah. the ability to hear eye notes it's a it's a it's a condition, isn't it, of sorts? Yeah. But yeah, he's he's quite it's quite something, Glenn Hughes. He seems ageless as well. I'm, I imagine he's in his sixties now, maybe maybe slightly older. But he seems to not age. Well, maybe he's got some sort of fountain of youth in his California um, retreat. He, he is. He's actually sixty nine. Glenn's 69. Okay. Yeah, born in 1951. Right. So he's, he's 70 this year. Wow. Okay. Um, um, yeah, we talked about them before, the Dead Days. They are, they, they, again, when we get gigs back again one day, mm. um, if, if they tour in this country, they are well worth checking out because they're, yeah. as you said, got some great players, great musicianship, good, good songs. So that's good. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So that's my two, that's my, oh, oh, something just actually hot off the press, which was announced literally literally, um, just before I came on to the show, and it's worthwhile shouting out to everybody, is Mm. we we talked before Christmas time about um, a great single that had come out from um, Smith and Cotson. So Adrian Smith, our secret weapon of Iron Maiden, and Richie Cotson, who's in the Winery Dogs and was in Mr. Big. So they've actually just announced that um, they have an album coming out on the 26th of March this year. So um, I I was just expecting it to be a single, bit of a bit of a one-off little project, but the album is out March this year. So I'm really looking forward to that. I love Richie Cotson, and I love Adrian Smith, and I think it'll just be melodic mm. rock Marriage in heaven. So that's my news, mate. What's kept... Oh, my eye. Yeah, what's caught your eye in the news? In the news, well, um, it was quite an interesting week last week. Um, there was a band, there's a true band uh, in London who uh, were sent cease and desist uh, note from Pearl Jam. Uh-huh. So this is a tribute band based in London, and they're also called Pearl Jam, but with an extra M yeah. at the end of Jam. And uh, they were told to change their name because it was detracting from Pearl Jam's image, and there were being mistaken identities. And I, I have to say, I'm one of those people. I, I've I've seen them, you know, they're advertised, yeah, and in like I don't know the garage in Highbury or the, the Islington Academy or somewhere like that. And I thought, wow, <laughs> Pearl Jam have fallen on hard times. You know, one day we're talking about them playing Hyde Park, and now they're playing the garage. In no disrespect to the garage in in uh, in Finsbury Park, um, nice little venue. Um, but anyway, so it's a different band altogether, yeah. and they've been told to change their name. And I was thinking about it actually. I was thinking, you know, I can kind of see both sides of the, you know, the argument in a sense. Um, I mean, there are lots of tribute bands out there, and generally their names are similar, but not the same with a different letter added yeah, yeah. as their as their the band they're tributing. Uh, and there's some very inventive, uh, of course, tribute band names, um, and you know some good ones. I mean, but they generally, you know, you can 
you can get a sense from the name as to who they are. The Bootleg Beatles, Candlelit Stones, the Illegal Eagles, yeah. Dirty DC, and so on. So yeah. I thought it was a strange one. It, that even made, I live in the London area, as you know, and uh, that even made the London BBC News. Uh, did it, it really? It may have been a slow news day. It did. Yeah, and they even interviewed the guys from the band, not Pearl Jam, uh-huh. i.e. Eddie Vedder and Mike McCready, but the guys from the tribute band. So it uh, just shows you, if you're going to form a tribute band, boys and girls, choose a name which is close but not the same as your the band you're tributing. Um, yeah. yeah I, where do you stand on tribute? Where, where do you stand on tribute bands, Brian? Where do I stand on tribute bands? I, I like a tribute band where... Say you've got something like the Kiss, so the Kiss tribute band, which is dressed, dressed uh, to kill, dressed to kill. It's it's where they it's where they do the whole show, and and you're getting your you're getting your final money because when you think about it, you go and see a Kiss show, you're paying big bucks, and they're only playing in the the big arenas. So I think it's not, I think tribute. Tribute acts are good because it means the music it's keeping the music alive, particularly for bands who mm-hmm. might not be touring that much. I also like it where if you've got something like um, there, there's a few ACDC tribute bands, and it's nice where ACDC go out and uh, ironically, it was only really when Axel Rose was front in ACDC that you got the Bon Scott catalog, and there's there's mm-hmm. some ACDC tribute bands where they'll either have two singers or a, where you're covering off the Brian Johnson era and the Bon Scott era. So it's, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with tribute bands. I, I, I'm, mm. I'm, a, I'm a little bit on the side of Pearl Jam because it's so close to the name of the original band. And, and I think that's where the yeah. dress, I think the dress to kill guys came out and sort of, you know, went, I can understand Pearl Jam's position where that's really close. That's only one letter difference. I remember in my, um, there's a little municipal hall in a little village in Scotland called Lanark. And mm-hmm. there was, there was, I'm not going to name the, for fear of falling out with whatever um, app that was on my phone where I'm able to, tr- where I'm able to track which artists I like. And it says, here's a gig, but, but ELO, <laughs> ELO were, were playing the, the um, wow. Lanark Hall. And, it, and, but it comes out with like ELO's, you know, it shows you ELO's itinerary of like um, Hyde Park, Wembley Stadium, mm-hmm. <laughs> Lan- Lanark Hall. <laughs> You know I love Europe, the band. I think Europe, again, mm. were playing in that club. And I was like going, sorry, sorry. When are Europe playing? I'm okay with, I'm okay with, tri- I'm okay with tribute acts. And, and, you know, we've talked about Ripper Owens and and uh, mm. uh, and Judas Priest. And some great things come out of tribute bands. If they're doing it, and they're doing it well, then more power to them. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I've seen quite a few and I do enjoy as you say, you know, sometimes, you know, you get to see, you know, a really good interpretation of the original band. Um, so, yeah, long may they continue. The yeah. other thing, which um, is not quite news, but uh, just to mention, um, I I just finished reading uh, Rob Halford's autobiography. Yeah. And I'm only bringing this up because uh, some people might be interested. Judas Priest's uh, singer, of course, Rob Halford. Uh, his book is called Confess. It came out at the end of last year. And um, it's a really interesting read. And I, I do I do like a rock autobiography. 
as you know, Brian. Yep, that's right. Um, from anything from Aussie slash Tony Iommi, Pink Way, uh, KK Downing. Uh, and recently I, I finished off the Rob Halford book in a relatively short space of time. Uh, my wife was very surprised that I'd even, um, you know, finished it in, as I say, a relative, like a week. Um, good read, well-written, um, and, uh, you know, a very interesting kind of insight into the world of Rob Halford, yeah. uh, uh, singer of Judas Priest, and also solo artist. So, yeah, that, that would be a recommendation. People are listening, and they're stuck for something to read during the uh, lockdown months. Um, well, we're checking out. Yeah, I, I I agree with you entirely. I I know I'm not I'm not through I'm not through it. I'm reading it as well. Um I'm I'm not mm. as far I haven't finished it yet, but it's a real it's an easy read. And it's mm. um and it's it's about Rob the guy as well as Rob the metal god. And it's just an it's a yes. nice easy read. The pa- the pages turn really, really quickly and it's yeah, I I I'd, it's I enjoy I enjoy Unless it. you're reading on a kit Unless you're reading on a Kindle, of course, and then it's like you have to, you know, swipe. Uh, okay. Um, and you, you like the pictures as well, don't you? Like looking at the pictures. I, I, I'm terrible. <laughs> I, I, I'm. You know this with me with books. I'll go to the section of the book where I'm going. Obviously, Rob fronted Black Sabbath for two nights when, mm. when in in 1992. Oh, oh right. funny, yeah, funny, you're funny we should mention that funnily enough Fun, yeah Ooh. so he he fronted he fronted sabbath because ronnie ronnie wasn't going to do the uh ronnie didn't do the shows which was aussie's farewell shows with shows with black sabbath and all that kind of stuff so um i was i was kind of going i want to read that bit and 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 you go to that bit mm. so i'm i'm terrible i did that with glenn hughes's book when it, whenever glenn's book came out and i went I've got to go straight to the Glenn Hughes. When, when Glenn Hughes was in Hughes and Thrall, then I had to go to when Glenn was in Black Sabbath and he, he knackered his nose and couldn't sing. And then I went to Glenn mm. Hughes when he was in Gary Moore. So I read Glenn Hughes's book based on what I'd read in Kerrang! <laughs> all those years ago. And then, and then decided, this is a really good book. I'll go and read it from the start again. So I read a book twice to finish it. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, the only objection I have with uh, any sort of autobiography is... They always start with, so I was born at a very young age and I went to school and so on and so forth. And I think, oh, well, you all went to school, most of us anyway. Yeah. And and so on. I, I wish they'd just fast forward to like the point when they kind of got into music and they became in the band and all that. Yeah. Because it's always the same formula. Um, that is my only criticism. Okay. But I am a sucker for a good rock or spiral thing. Um, right. Let's talk about 1992, Brian, funnily enough. Funnily enough. Funnily, you should, funnily enough, you should mention that. So last time when we spoke, which was a few weeks ago now, yeah. our first podcast of 2021, uh, I gave you the challenge, which of course you accepted, uh, to talk about the year 1992 and what music you were listening to, what albums you were buying, what gigs you were going to, uh, etc. Now, as is always the case, yeah. you always ask me how old I was in 1992. <laughs> But for a change, I was I was tw- I turned twenty seven in nineteen ninety two. Okay, I think or was it twenty two? I'll get back to you on that. How old were you in nineteen ninety two? In nineteen ninety two, Matthew, I was twenty three. Okay, I must have been twenty seven. Tell us about nineteen ninety two. What what were you, where were you living in those days? I in nineteen ninety two, I was in the northeast of England. 
I was living in... Okay. S- yeah, I was... Uh, I, in fact, I was at uni. I was at uni in uh-huh. Yeah, I was, still, I was still at uni in 1992. Wow. Did you did you fail a few years? You must be quite old to be at university. <laughs> uh, no, I did a... I did a, I did a, I did a year... My, my university course uh, was four years, so I did a year's placement. Um, oh. And yeah, so it was my final year. It was my final year of uni. So I was still in the mm-hmm. northeast of England. And interestingly, 1992, it was a year of big tours. So that was the usual. The usual illusion tour was happening, and and I think the reason the illusion tour started probably about 1990 and finished in 1997. Um, mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it went on forever and ever. Uh, but I got mm. to see. I was so pleased in '92. I got. I got to see Guns and Roses. Um, I got to see that package, which was Guns and Roses, uh, Faith No More, and um, Soundgarden in '92. Wow. That was really that. That was I didn't know Soundgarden that well. My 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 friend Keith um, turned me on to Soundgarden. They were they really sounded very Sabbathy and the Bad Motorfinger um, era. So they sounded great. Faith No More were just off the scale. They were unbelievable. Um, um, and then Guns N' Roses came on, and they were they were going a little, Guns N' Roses. Matt Sorum was in the band, so you you didn't have the uh, appetite band, and you had the two keyboard players and the backing singers and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So um, mm. no, that was good. Um, so nineteen eighty two, I got to see that was probably the the highlight gig for me um, in ninety two. But the so ninety two was an interesting year gigs wise. And when I go through, you've been quite you've picked some eclectic albums and. Um, in some of mm. your years, and when I was going through my collection of my top five albums, it was an interesting year in rock. Um, grunge was starting to kick in, you know. Never mind, mm-hmm. never mind. Went number one in January of '92. Um, Pearl Jam it was did. was big in '92 on the back of Ten. So, top five albums of '92, as far as as far as Brian is concerned. First album up for me, Dream Theater. Dream Theater, Images and Words. It was their second album. Got a lot of coverage on MTV with the single Pull Me Under. Just a brilliant album. That got me into Dream Theater and I've followed them ever since. James LeBray, who's a singer, had just joined the band. Uh, sang really, really well. So first album, Matt, Dream Theater, Images and Words. Easy peasy. Bought it in 92. Great album. It's good. It's good choice. Good choice. Was uh, was Mike Portnoy in the band in those days? He was indeed. We mentioned a few times. Yeah, Mike. They, they, they were. They were about. Was that their first album? Second album. Um, Second album. Because I said, weren't they famously a bunch of guys who met at the New York uh, School of Music? I think Berkeley. Called, it? They were like at that? Berkeley. They met at Berkeley. Oh, that was it. Yeah. yeah. And that's. I suppose it's a good place to form a band, isn't it? A um, yeah. A, a college of music. Yes. Good band. And we've seen them a couple of times, of course, um, over the yeah. years. Cool. Yep. Like it. Good, uh, yep. good start, my friend. Good start. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hit everybody with the comeback. I thought this was a great comeback album um, from this next band who I loved. Bon Jovi, Keep the Faith. Mm. Um, great album. Um, Dry County is probably Keep the Faith, the single, which is great. I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. Really, really strong album to come back. Obviously, they they... They did the tour album, tour album, tour on the back of Slippery When Wet and New Jersey. Took a little bit of time off. Richie did a solo album. Um, John did the um, 
he did some producing for Hall and & Oates and Stevie Nicks. And then he obviously did the, the Young Guns. It's such a great, it was such a great album when it came back. And to me, I don't mind saying it, I think it's the last great Bon Jovi album. Just great mm. songwriting. You know, those three albums, Slippery, New Jersey, and Keep the Faith. So a great album. Um, and I got to see them as well too, you know, around that time and singing great. Richie, a great guitar player. So that was number two. Um, mm, good choice. Yeah. I, I agree with you about it being probably the last, as you were saying, I did think, I was kind of thinking beyond that, you know, they haven't really, I mean, they've had a plenty of albums and it's still hugely successful, of course. But yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you. That was their last, that was probably those three albums back to back. Yeah. Slippery, New Jersey, and then Keep the Faith. Because that was, a, as you said, it was kind of a, it's kind of a comeback album of itself, wasn't it? Was. He, didn't John Bon Jovi he cut his hair short and <laughs> they, they kind of almost burnt themselves out yeah. on the New Jersey tour. And I remember John Bon Jovi coming back with a nice kind of short, shortish sort of styled hair. And it was like, there was uproar. Where's it? What's he cut his hair uh -huh. for? What's going on? Yeah. But um, the music, the music did the talking, of course. And uh, yeah, it's a good album. I would, rec I, I would recommend to anybody, and I don't think it's on, it'll be on YouTube. If you want to see Bon Jovi um, at their fighting fittest as a band, um, they're, they, actually they actually released a, D, um, it's, not, it's not even out in DVD. It's um, an evening with, it was recorded, it was recorded for MTV Unplugged, but they kind of did it plugged. I remember and they opened up with uh, with a little help from my friends, and they do some cover versions, and it's just them sitting in the round in a in a in a studio, and they are abs. It's I'm just surprised they never released it as a live album, Matt, because they do mm. they do fe they do covers like Fever, We Got to Get Out of This Place by the Animals, Louie Louie, and then they're chucking in One or Dead or Alive, and then there's a bit of chat with the band, Bon Jovi. An evening with it's definitely on YouTube. Check out that because in '92, Bon Jovi came back with a strong album and they toured well. So that's I, I probably should have put that last mm. as my as my as my um, top album. Do you think, do you, think you pick you too soon? Well, too we soon. shall see. That's I'll let you be the judge of that. Mm. Um, album three. I doubt it. I doubt it. <clears throat> album three, a great album on the back. Uh, this is a third release from our, our favourite, well, my favourite band from Boston. You might like Aerosmith a bit more. Um, Extreme, three sides to every mm. story. Um, on the back of Porn and Graffiti, and they toured that to death, and you had the big singles. Um, that album is just, it's sublime. It's just a mm. band. They, the production, the singing, the songwriting... It obviously doesn't get, it probably doesn't get the light shone on it as much as pornography. But um, mm, it's true. I would check it out. the The second, the the last song, um, which is which is the segue of, it's got rise today. It probably lasts about eleven minutes, but it's it's as queen as they're ever gonna get. Um, brilliant mm. album. Uh, I I love uh, three sides to every story. So go check it out. Um, yeah, it's good. Is it, I agree. With you. I did. I bought that at the same time as well. Actually, funny enough, uh, back in 1992, when I was living in Stevenage. By the way, thanks oh. for asking. Um, <laughs> I, I do remember playing it in my bedroom in Stevenage. Um, 
Uh, yeah, good choice. Yeah, great choice. Yeah. Um, and as you say, maybe it's a, it's not quite a hidden gem, but you're right. It kind of gets overlooked by Porn and Graffiti, Porn and Graffiti 2, and all their kind of, you know, their, their hits, as it were, their, the, more than, the More Than Words is of this world and so on. But yeah, some top songs on that album, aren't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good choice. Good uh, yeah, choice. No, it, we've seen them at Ramblin' Man, and there was there was probably a lot of chat around could, could Extreme handle a headlining slot at, at a at a, a premier festival and i thought it did a great mm. job so yeah they are great like they are great they are really good live i mean again one of those bands that if they do come back you know when, when gigs start again if you get a chance to see extreme they are great i mean they all sing great musicianships musicianship rather and yeah. always something going on great great, great choice yeah yeah album four mm. Mm. Um, which might be in a few people's record collections. I'd be really interested if you've got this one. This is the well-titled L.A. Blues Authority, Volume 2, Sir Glenn Hughes. Mm. So it's a blues album. So this was Glenn's, um, this is Glenn's solo album. It's Mike Varney, who ran Shrapnel Records um, in the sort of 80s and 90s. He was well-renowned for discovering all of the shred metal guitarists, like... Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Gilbert and Richie Kotzen and and all these guys. Glenn in '92, he hadn't released a solo album since 1977 with "Play Me Out," and he. Right. So this is his first solo album. So it's a real blues album. The opening track, if uh, hopefully it's on Spotify, I'll check. I'll I'll put mm. this track on it. But the opening track is called uh, "The Boy Can Sing the Blues," and Glenn is wailing on that. And the good thing about it is, if you're a guitar fan as I am there's loads of guest guitar players on it so John Norham from Europe who mm-hmm. played a lot um, with Glenn in the 80s and 90s but people like Mick Mars so Mick Mars from Motley oh, Crue wow. is playing the guitar mm-hmm. Warren Martini um, from yeah. Rat who's a brilliant blues player he was in Whitesnake for a little while War- Warren's yeah. in it Richie Kotzen Mark Kendall from Great White so it's a lot wow. of like 90s late 80s 90s guitar players that that feature in the album and it's a really strong album so i thought i got glenn kicking back in and then he moved on from 92 and then his solo career kicked off from there from that album so it's called la blues authority volume two check it out Uh, it's really really good and my final album is from that great british band thunder Thunder's second album, which was released, which was Laughing on Judgment and Day, um, it just is a great follow-up to Backstreet Symphony. Um, the songwriting was so much more mature. I've said this to you before, Matt, I actually prefer it to Backstreet Symphony. But I, as a work of a, of a band that's firing in all cylinders, 1992, Thunder were ready to move into proper headlining. So the last album for me, would have been uh, Thunder's Laughing on Judgment Day. And there was lots of other albums I could have uh, picked out for 92, but those are my top five. What about you, mate? Very good, very good. Um, well, you've made great choices, as always. Um, I've got a couple uh, of albums that I remember buying at the time, which is our normal criteria uh-huh. for reviewing those years. Um the first one is an obvious one, and I think we talked about this band on all of our shows so far. We certainly talked about the guitarist that joined this band back in 1992 <laughs> on all of our shows. Because 
this is a new feature called What Was Sir Viv Doing Then? And <laughs> so, it, so in 1992, um, I remember buying uh, Adrenalize by Def Leppard, which uh-huh. is, uh, again, you know, it's one of those albums that has great, great tracks on it. It was um, the first album they'd done after Hysteria, the first album they'd done after Steve Clark had died, and the first album that... I don't think Vivian Campbell actually played on it. No, it's all Phil. Phil Collins does all the guitar. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, but I, I thought, well, I can't, I can't not put that in. I've done it. We've done it between us in the last few podcasts. We've mentioned pretty much Def Leppard all the time. They coincided with the years that we've been talking about. But Adrenalize in 1992 got some great tunes on it. Let's get rocked. Of course, was the <gasps> yeah, big yeah, yeah. single. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a song, song on it which I think is dedicated to Steve Clark called White Lightning. Yeah. Absolutely amazing song. So, um, yeah, Adrenalize by Def Leppard. And then the other one, the other album, which I remember buying at the time, is a slight departure from um, the normal rock albums that we talk about, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, is um, Little Earthquakes by Tori Amos. Now, Ooh. Tori Amos. Ooh. Yeah, you're right Good with that? choice. Yeah, could, Absolutely, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, well, thank you. Um, yeah, Tori Amos is probably one of her most well-known albums, and a couple of her um, hit singles are on that, Cruc- uh, Crucify and Silent All These Years. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just some good songs, uh, well-produced, and just something different. You know, again, you know, I think a good song is a good song. You know, if you like it, then it doesn't matter what genre, genre it's in. And uh, I remember buying Little Earthquakes um, then. And one of those albums that I still go back to every now and again, you know, if I want a bit of kind of, you know, something a bit cool and relaxed. And uh, so, yeah, I would suggest Little Earthquakes by Tori Amos. That's a good show. So, um, yeah, if you could put some. What track would you uh, want me to put on the Spotify playlist? Let me think. I would probably go with um, Crucify please, okay. if you don't mind. Um, but 1992 was an interesting year in music, as we've kind of touched upon. Um, uh, several things happened which, which were quite interesting. Uh, the Freddie Mercury tribute concert happened in that year. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that. Um, and, you know, that was obviously a you know, sad, sad, sad event in one respect because it was a tribute to the, the departed, recently departed Freddie Mercury but, you know, as an event, it was huge. And it was kind of almost rivaled Live Aid. And that took place in uh, in 1992. Do you remember watching that, Brian? I was I didn't go, but I did watch it on TV from almost, you know, start to, start to finish. It was kind of split in half because obviously um, you had all of the original, you had all of the acts who were um, invited. So, you know, Metallica, Guns N' Roses played, um uh, Extreme played, Def Leppard played. Mm. Actually, it was Vivian's first gig with. Um, it was. It was Vivian's first gig with uh, with Def Leppard. Um, uh, um, so I I I, enjo- I enjoyed it. There was a few acts where you were surprised. So I remember, um, obviously George Michael um, killed it on Somebody to Love, and they also did Thirty Nine, mm. which is. Uh, which is tra- which is a track on Night of the Opera, which Brian May mm. famously wanted as a single, and it and it never came out. 
Didn't think yeah, it got released song. a single, which is a great song. Um, Lisa Stansfield sang um, Bowie and Annie Lennox did Under Pressure. Mm-hmm. But there were some songs by artists where you just went, Freddie Mercury was such an amazing vocalist. You know, I love Seal. I don't mind saying it. Seal, Seal did Who Wants to Love Forever, which is one of my favourites. Mm-hmm. And he just, sometimes a voice doesn't match a song. And for me, Seal put his heart and soul into it. Paul Young did Radio Gaga. It just didn't work for me. There was there were some things. I walked away from the concert, or walked away from watching that going, what a tribute to Freddie that the, it took so many artists to sing his repertoire of songs from Robert Plant to Liza Minnelli mm. to Zuccaro and Freddie just could do it all. I, I, I tend to agree with you, but it was a big event. It was a great oh, event fab. as well. And I, fab. Um, uh, the other thing which uh, music related in 1992, mm. we've got our friend Matt, Ra- Matt Graydon to thank for this because he, okay. he, he reminded us today. Yes, uh, Wayne's World came out in 1992, of course. <laughs> um, and we, 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 we did touch upon that in the context uh, a few weeks ago of one of those yeah. reunion things. Yeah. Um, but, and as I said at the time, I was one of those sad people who was doing the, uh, the catchphrases. I still do them, actually, now and again. <laughs> Oh. Which, which I think, which I think is excellent. Um, so um, I just thought I mentioned that because there was a good soundtrack to that. Um, if you remember, you I know, don't actually. Of, no, it's an old. It's a it's a soundtrack. I've don't I don't have that in the in the arsenal. What what's uh, what's on it? <laughs> well, uh, in as the long arsenal. as Dream Dreamweaver's on it. Dream Dreamweaver Dreamweaver Dream of course is on it. Um, <laughs> And of course, a Ballroom Blitz was given a new lease of life as, yeah. as a result of that, yeah. and uh, and uh, and so on. I mean, it's got it's got quite it's got a bit of, bit of Jimi Hendrix on there, of course, with Foxy Lady. Um, indeed, <laughs> no one can forget forget that. And uh, it's Ugly Kid Joe on there, and so on. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, Wayne's World, and uh, I watch it every now and again. It's one of those films that you know. If you were there at the time, you kind of uh, are very happy to revisit it. Um, indeed, as Wayne or Garth might have said. Right, let us move on. Um, so that was 1992. Party on. Party on. So- <laughs> <laughs> right, as, as, we, as everybody... Well, you said you know all of the lines from it. I've never made that. So, so it's on you now for the rest of the show to, to throw in your uh, Wayne's World uh, little... Um, Wayne's World-isms. Wayne's World-isms. Um, so, so that was 1992, mate. So yes, I, I hand the baton over to you now for, okay. for a, a year in rock. And the mm. year that I choose is 1981. 1981. Uh, okay. You Do were so you... slow in delivering that. I thought it might, might be 1980 again. But, um, <laughs> 1981. Okay. Well, uh, challenge accepted. Excellent. It is one of my favourite years, actually. Yep. Um, I went to my first gig in 1981. Um, Did you? Yes. Actually, funny I should say that because... Mm. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about today, and I will talk about 81 next time around. Okay. Um, Look forward to it. I wanted to talk to you about, yeah, um, in the time we got left, I wanted to talk to you about um, 
in the absence of gigs that we can go to, and we've we've been we've been starved, as we know, and a, a lot of people have been starved of gigs. Um, in the overall scheme of things, it's not that important, of course. But no, correct. Um, we uh, we haven't been to a gig for a while, as we discussed last time round or a few times ago. So I was interested to know because we have touched upon our early gigs. Yeah. Um, what gigs stand out for you uh, in your in your gig going? career young brian my gig going career so what was the was the first gig you went to of course was dio i think we established that didn't we we, we did the, the the parting of mm. yes the parting of the ways whenever three young men stand at the front of a stage and go there's nobody standing here we're all watching mm. Queensryche. and then yeah. and then the cacophony of leather clad northern irishmen clambering in the front and killing us all um, so yes, first that, gig. First sounds, gig. Like, sounds like something out of Game of Thrones. <laughs> I just picture it. Ah, exactly. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's you know, it's what was it? What did they call it? The Red Wedding. It was. It was yeah. Yes, it was uh, the answer forum. By, yes, inspired <laughs> by the Dio gig back in 1994. Yeah, yeah. First gig. First gig. Ronnie, Ronnie James Dio. Um, mm. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was, but but when you when you talk about and and I didn't appreciate it at the time. Um, um, you go to your first you, you go to your first gig, and you you just it just hits you like a train mat. You're just nobody readies you for a PA or mm. that that's that sensation of Vinnie mm. Appice's bass drum hitting you at the top of your chest for yes. those of us who are gig goers and you're and I rem, I still remember it to the day Ronnie James in the middle of the stage and we're, and we've come down to that slow period where he's where, where in the set we're all about to sing heaven and hell and all you can hear mm. is Vinnie Appice's Vinnie Appice's bass drum and Jimmy Bain's thudding bass and mm. it's just hitting you in the chest and you're going that's the difference between live music and listening to a CD. You feel it. You just feel it. So mm. I'll remember that mm. today. I'll also remember Vivian Campbell wearing his red leather catsuit type thing and his Charvel guitars. So first gig, mm. first gig was, was Dio. What about you, mate? First gig? Well, as I maiden at the University of East Anglia. Um, for years, I thought it was Whitesnake at Hammersmith Odeon, <laughs> but I, I, got, I got that wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, that right down the front, um, I had very long hair in those days. So I was like in row two and my hair was in row five. <laughs> That's a slight exaggeration. But in those days, we used to cry. We didn't think, we didn't think anything. The older you get, the more distance and space you like to have around yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of, the, there's a direct correlation there. But when you're young, you don't care if you're cramming in and you don't want to, you don't worry about going to the bar when you're, I was 15 then. Um, you know, you just kind of get on with it. And, uh, yeah, we were down the front for Maiden, uh, me, my mate Kelvin, and my mm -hmm. mate Richard. And uh, one of our school teachers took us, actually, um, in these, in the, I think it was in the school minibus. We had these pretty cool teachers in our school, a couple of them, uh, Mr. Robinson and Mr. Blundell, and they would uh, occasionally... They would take us either in their cars or in the school minibus. I'm oh, sure yeah. there was all sorts of public liability um, <laughs> misdemeanors going on at the time. When you think about it, oh. um, from an insurance perspective, of course. Uh, but yeah, they 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 took us there. But what I remember about those early gigs is 
did you did, we do it to an extent now and i know our mate matt who we talked about earlier yeah. likes to buy a t-shirt at pretty much every gig he ever goes to <sighs> yes um but do you remember back in the day you'd buy pretty much all the merch that was available um you know i remember that maiden gig buying a t-shirt a badge a patch a program you know whatever they had uh, uh, you know yes please i'll have it um and uh yeah i wore that iron maiden killers tour t-shirt to death in that summer yeah um sadly it it's no more it fell apart such was the quality of t-shirts back in 1981 of course um what yeah t- that was that was my first gig. so here's a question for you and, and i and this is something mm. we haven't can you remember what your oldest tour t-shirt that you have I can my I've 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 still got it here in the flat. Have you? Have you? Mm-hmm. What what vintage is that then, Brian? Nineteen eighty four. Gary Moore. When I saw when I saw Gary Moore in December for my second gig ever. Does it does it still fit that t shirt? Dare I ask? It it does. If you've got a hot water bottle, it fits the hot water bottle. <laughs> it certainly Unders- it certainly understood. wouldn't hit me. <laughs> uh, understood. It's what we when we talk about those sort of things, we say they sh- it shrunk in the wardrobe. Which is... <laughs> I've not heard that one. No, that's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, it, it happens. It happens. Oh, unfortunately, um, what is the what's the best gig you've ever been to? Would you say the best gig that I've ever been to? This is interesting because if you'd said what's the most memorable gig that you've ever been to. There's a two. There's a couple of notable ones that I would chuck in, and it's memorable mm-hmm. for funny reasons. I can remember, and I think I met you in London um, for. Um, I was going to go and see King's X at the. I think it was yeah. a. It was the for. It was called the Forum, and it was on a Sunday night, and um, uh, I didn't know that the venues. <laughs> opened early you know like seven o'clock start or something yeah and yeah, yeah. and we traveled all the way down from england um to go and see king's x specifically in london and we were sitting in a sitting in a bar chatting with you thinking ah oh, king's x will be on about half past eight or whatever oh that's right that's right i remember this now yeah mm. and, and i was with one i was with one of my one of keith one of my friends who who was massive king's x fan and there's there's us going ah we'll just pile in and we got to the venue and it's like King's X are nearly halfway through the set. And we got to see oh about, tw- we got to see about half an hour of King's X. I'm surprised Keith spoke to me. So that, that was memorable. The other memorable one I remember, and, and then I will pick, uh, I will pick my, my favorite one was, I remember planning to go and see Roger Waters when the mm-hmm. wall was touring and it was down in Manchester and I didn't check the ticket. And at this time, I thought. Oh, no. I, I, at this time, I thought that um, uh, that Roger Water was playing in stadiums. <laughs> so I drove to the Etihad Stadium, Manchester City Stadium, and I'm driving mm-hmm. up. I'm driving at the car park, going. It's a bit quiet here. What's that? What's that in here? Oh no! And this is maybe about seven o'clock. So I just whipped the car around and went, checked me, I sat, sat in the car park and checked my tickets and it was the MEN Arena in Manchester. And I just had to uh. just whip the car around, parked up, literally parked the car, ran in, got my ticket and literally within, say, five minutes, the show started. So those are two memorable gigs for 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 me being the bad planner that I am. <laughs> Oh, actually, 
for a minute, I thought you had the wrong the wrong date because my my cousin and her husband. <laughs> this is this is a true story actually. My cousin and her husband. Um, they live in America, live in Nashville. And years ago, they went to see you. It's classic, classic kind of family story. This years ago, they went to see you too, or they had tickets to see you too. Yeah, in a, in someone like Atlanta or Memphis or someone like that. So they drove, and it's quite dry. So they drove there, and they pulled up outside the, let's say the the Atlanta or Norma Dome or whatever it was. Yeah, and uh, came into the car park, and like bit like you described, there's no one there. There was no one. You know, expecting thousands of people, car, car parks, yeah. uh, tailgates down and everything. And uh, they, they they found someone and they said, uh, so uh, what time What time are you two on? And they said, uh, you two was last weekend. So they missed, sadly missed, <laughs> oh, I know, no. they missed the gig by, I think it was a week or a month or something, but they got their dates wrong. And needless to say, they never made that mistake again. I think they've seen you two since then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is... Yeah, which is kind of yeah, it's, it's sad, isn't it? Really, I've never been that I've never been that bad. I mean, I know what you mean though, because some of those venues in London they do yeah. and uh, um, they do kind of sh- sometimes the gig starts early and finishes early, and then they have a, like a club thing later on in the evening. So you got to be careful. You got to keep your eye on the timings. And, and um, exactly, that's um, uh, there's been a few times uh, I'm, I'm the. I, I will I will never and particularly if you're traveling to London if you're going all the way down specifically to go and see mm. your favorite band and then you I that. yeah and, and you just go oh my goodness um but L- London's London's a disaster area for me because you they keep changing the 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 the, the, the venue names you know there's place I, I think I've been to the town and country club I, I've been to mm. the Astoria. But I think the story has changed yeah. its name. Uh, um, uh, mm. Yeah, I've been a been a couple of times. So, mm. so those mm. are two memorable gigs. In terms mm. of the best gig I ever went to was um, Newcastle Riverside um, in 1992. Matt, um, mm-hmm. it was the reunion of Trapeze, or for any, ah. of, or for any of our for any of our listeners in America, Trapeze. So yeah, so um, so Glenn Hughes, Mel Galley, Dave Holland all got back together um, and did a, a small club tour. I think they got back together to play at the benefit for mm. their former manager, who was Fish's manager at the time. So I think Fish did a, I think they did a show in London, and and Trapeze supported them on that. So that was a big one for me. Mm, um, so we arrived there about six thirty, um, and and it was a Sunday night. And standing outside, and again, first at the door, Keith and I are there, and there was a guy having a cigarette and just hanging about. And it was a guy called Wolfie. And he went, oh, mm-hmm. right, right. And, and I went, okay. Uh, and he just casually said, do you fancy coming in? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we came in. We saw the, we saw, saw the sound check with Trapeze. Mm. Wolfie went to see Glenn Hughes. Glenn Hughes came down off the stage and I chatted to Glenn Hughes in the Riverside in Newcastle for about 20 minutes as a fanboy. And I was asking Mm. about Gary Moore and just asking him lots and lots of stuff about what was it like playing with Black Sabbath. And he couldn't have been a nicer guy. He Mm. He was lovely. And then... Dave Holland, who was the drummer, Keith's a keen drummer, and Dave Holland came down and was chatting as well. Mm. Was was chatting, and at this time, 
everybody's starting to mill into the club. So we, we were yeah. in there on our own. And I remember Keith's chatting to Dave Holland about Drummond stuff. And Dave Holland, you know, Judas Priest, you know, a, mm. a, one of Rock's uh, known drummers. And this guy oh, yeah. comes up in between Keith and Dave Holland and asks him for directions to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> And and oh, Dave Hall, Dave Holland, I remember, I remember, I I remember Keith Keith saying to me they were chatting about this, and and Dave Holland sort of in his his very uh, in his in his accent turned around and he says, "What do you think I am? Tourist information?" And this guy, this guy's asking the drummer of Trapeze, "Where's the where's the uh, directions to the toilet?" So that's the oh, precursor really? before we've even. Uh, oh, that's not even your favourite gig. That's no, just, it is. is that... No, it is my favourite oh, gig. Okay. It's my favourite gig because I'm chatting to Glenn. Glenn's Glenn, in a very rock and roll way, says, "You know, it's really great meeting the fans like you. That you know, thanks." And I was talking about. It, I says, "I'll play a song for you tonight, Brian." Oh, sweet! And I went. You know the way you're going, Glenn's, I'm going to hear a song for a piece from Glenn. So the set's going on and on and on. And my little heart, with every song that passes, I'm going, Glenn's forgotten about me. Glenn, Glenn's, Glenn's, Glenn's not going to mention me. And they sang, you are the music, we're, the, we're just the band. And he mentioned my name in the song and I was floating out of that gig. And, I'm and not surprised. So that's my that's the best gig I've ever been to because you get to meet your heroes. And I I I've no issue now of bands because people are not making money off records that you that mm. you pay for meet and greets. You know, mm-hmm. I've I've done meet and greets. I've met Finn Lizzie. I've met Toto. I, I've met Glenn. I got no issues with that. But I have to say, there's something about going to a gig, Matt. Sometimes I, I, you've been to loads where. You get backstage and you, or, or or you meet somebody outside. I met Yannick Gares at a Thin Lizzy gig. Wow! And 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 my mate bought him a pint of Guinness because he was a big Iron Maiden fan. And Yannick was lovely. So you mm. just, it's nice in a context of not having to pay money to meet your heroes sometimes. But I get it now that you the meet and greets and you get all of this stuff. So I I kind of I, I look back on that gig in 1992 and go, I've still got my ticket. Um, sadly, no merch or I would have bought it all. Um, but that's that to me is the best, best gig I've ever been to, bar none. That's great. Um, sorry. I'm not surprised. That's great. That's nice. Fantastic. <laughs> that is, I, I'm in awe of that. I mean, that's brilliant. And I know, I know what a big, um, Glenn Hughes fan you are. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, um, you know, Trapeze are one of those bands that, you know, kind of dissolved when Glenn Hughes that went to join Deep Purple yeah, and yeah. Mel, Mel Gallagher went to White Snake. So Dave Holland went to Priest. So seeing them as a as a unit must have been you know great on all levels. Let it alone was, yeah, yeah, ha- yeah. Hanging out with them, yeah. And yeah. you know, I, I I can't really compete with that. I mean, frankly, um, you have to. You know, I've told you my best ever gig. You have to not. You know, it's what was your best oh, ever gig? I used to regard you uh, two on the Joshua t- tour at Wembley Stadium in 1987 as probably the best spectacle mm. I'd seen <clears throat> as, a, as a gig, as a performance. And um, I think maybe because it was Wembley Stadium, it was the middle weekend of my finals. <laughs> I've got a degree. I don't know whether I've ever mentioned that, Brian, but I have a degree. Well done. In, um, well, well done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> but anyway, so, so, such as my devotion to my degree that I decided to go and see you two the middle, the middle weekend of 
of my finals. Yeah. So I, I wrote off that Saturday, probably when I should have been revising. Um, but, you know, I, I, was spec I was thinking about this and, I mean, it's very difficult, I think, to... You could probably pick a few dud, dud gigs you've been to. And we've, we've been to one or two when the band we were watching is like, uh-huh, there's something wrong here, and which we won't name any names. No, no. Uh, um, or the, the PA's cut out or, or whatever, or yeah. guitarist broke a string or something like that. Um, but most of the time, you know, you go to a gig because you want to be there. You go to a festival because, you know, you like festivals. You know, you're not dragged kicking and screaming. Yeah necessarily so it's very difficult to for me to say what was my favorite gig i think um you know meeting your, meeting your heroes randomly is quite cool yeah um i was just talking to my wife earlier actually about the temperance movement we we happened to we went to see them in france with some friends of ours trev and bev who live in france and uh we went to the sound check and they said to us after the gig because we we're the only people there and all the french people went home <laughs> i said well what you came all the way to, from England to see us in, in France. Uh -huh. You live near London. And, you know, you know, we play London kind of thing. <laughs> we was like, well, you know, we were here anyway. So it was, that was cool. Um, yeah. I suppose recently, uh, I think you, was, you were there as well. You, I know you were there. Yeah. Sometimes you see a band that kind of sparks something in you and you think, you know, it's a bit like being 15, 16 again, you know, and you get that kind of like, you know, that feeling that, you know, I want to I devote my life to this band you know, one sense. And uh, I remember when we went to see um, the uh, Those Damn Crows at yes. Ramley Man a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, first band on the, the whole festival, the whole weekend. People queuing up. It's 12.30. There's no other bands on. They're opening the whole festival. The tent was packed and they were on fire. Um, those Damn Crows re can't recommend them hardly enough. Yeah. Um, probably not that well known outside of Britain, but if anyone is listening anywhere in the world check them out great great band from wales so um you know you know i yeah i, I suppose you know we we look back at those times when you've been with your toes trodden on and your pint <laughs> knocked out your hand and someone flicking hair in their face in your face while they're headbanging and you know terrible toilets at uh, the original kind of monster rock you know you think well oh, no, good times yeah, yeah, we miss yeah, those. Yeah. We I, miss I, those heady days. We do. I know we, you don't. I, I, you like a nice, cozy festival, don't you? But I, I hate, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, um, I've been to loads and loads of gigs, and you know, I think most of them are pretty good. Um, with no complaints in in general. Um, so yeah, when we all can get back to gigs, when you go to your gigs, um, get there, um, go and see the support band give them a look you might find that it might be the new band that you you want to follow so uh yeah mm. the, the things you learn over the years you know don't stand next to the big tall guy which is yeah which is what yep. i always get doing and go and see mm. go and enjoy the night for what it is support band the whole thing and if you need to stay to half past 11 trying to get the set list and steve lukather's plectrum from the roadies do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there are obsessive people, <laughs> like like you. And there yes. are normal people who, who just say, "Brilliant, brilliant, let's go." Yeah. Um, good night. Uh, yeah, I know you mean, but that's a good point. Good, that's a good good sentiment to end on. Yeah, yes. support your yeah. support support your support acts exactly because they 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 need you as much as you need them. <clears throat> uh, which brings us on nicely to our uh, usual regular feature uh -huh. of. Um, Hidden gems. Yes. Hidden gems, Brian. Have you got anything up your sleeve 
this week. I do indeed. I, I mm-hmm. do indeed. And and having floored me at the last show with Journey live You're in welcome. Houston. Have you watched that since? You, I have. You checked it out since. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I have. So you got me. You got me in a vein of AOR melodic okay. rock. And the album that I'm going to put down is Steve Perry, as you and I have both said, 1981 was probably one of the greatest voices in American rock. Um, Agreed, absolutely. Yeah, him, Lou Graham, and somebody that I would put up there is Jimmy Jameson from um, Survivor. So he was the Mm -hmm. replacement singer in Survivor. And my Hidden Gen album... Um, for this show is an album called Too Hot to Sleep. It was Survivor's seventh album released in 1988, but mm. I, I would ask everybody to check it out. It's just such a strong album. It's good, melodic, and it's quite heavy. It's a heavy mm. album. Um, uh, Rhythm of the City, Too Hot to Sleep, She's a Star, it, um, and there's a great Survivor do their ballads like all the great American um, uh, bands. There's a track on it which is one of my favourites called Across the Miles. My hidden gem for this show is Too Hot to Sleep. Check it out, Matt. I think you'll like it. I, I will. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, what I like about this is that I often hear things that I've never heard of before. And obviously I know Survivor, but yeah. probably like a lot of people, I think I have the tiger. Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty where I end. So I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, thank you. That's great. Cool. Good good selection, and I will check it out. So would you like to know mine? Uh, what is your What are you going to trump me with this this show, as you always do? Well, <laughs> no, you know, I was out to pull one out of my back pocket, as it were. And um, so this week, or this time, I am going to – it's not an album – as such well it's, it isn't it isn't so i am my hidden gem for this time is a film and we talked earlier about uh, 1992 yes. and this is a film that was released in 1992 and it's not wayne's world because we talked about it earlier <laughs> uh it's a film called singles um so singles was released in 1992 do you remember that film you saw it <laughs> well. what a great what a great film what a great film, a great soundtrack. Why didn't I you think do of that? Know it. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you probably just don't think of things at last minute like I do. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Singles uh, is one of those kind of uh, Generation Xer type films yeah. that was, uh, it's a Cameron Crowe film, which you probably know because I, I sense you're a fan or you're am. knowledgeable about this film. And it's one of those interesting films because it, it's set in Seattle right at the kind of, birth of I'm, I'm making the birth symbol yes. as we speak the birth sign <laughs> with my hands um, kind of um, uh, it is set right at the birth of grunge so you, in it you've got um, Matt Dillon plays a kind of you know a, a, an actor who's obviously an actor but he's also playing a singer of a band and in that band are various members of Pearl Jam and also featuring in the film are uh, people like Chris Cornell I think Alison Chains are in there in the background again yeah. and so on um, and you know it, it's quite of its time I mean it's what 28 29 years ago now wow uh, but it, it, it's, it's quite a cool little film it captures that kind of little vibe around Seattle in the early 90s the birth of grunge and uh, uh, and as you I think you touched upon the the soundtrack 
is uh, is pretty cool as well. It's got obviously Soundgarden, or Chris Cornell's on there, Alison Chains are on there, Pearl Jam's on there, Mother Love Bones on there. Yeah, doing uh, uh, I think it's Hunger, Hunger Strike. Anyway, I could be wrong. Uh, the Love Mongers, which is Anne and Nancy Wilson's kind of tribute band to Led Zeppelin. As yeah. we know, Anne and Nancy Wilson also from Seattle, yeah. as discussed previously. Uh, so it's got all sorts of good stuff on there, really. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I, for one, I'm going to go back and watch that film and, and pay attention to the soundtrack. And so that's my hidden gem. Oh, it's brilliant. This, oh, this, no. this time. Do you like that? Bro? I do. That, that? Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm, I, I, I remember. I didn't go and see in the cinema. Um, I do remember getting it, uh, getting it on video. I bought it in video. Matt Dillon is an absolute scream with with uh, with the band, as you say, with the guys from mm. uh, the the guys from Pearl Jam. And uh, when um, I always remember, there's a scene in the film where he's been interviewed, and uh, you know he's he's talking to Cl- the interviewer is talking to Cliff and saying. Um, you know, do you do you do you see yourself as part of the Seattle scene, Cliff? And he goes, uh, "We're huge, we're huge in Europe. We've just we we we're huge in Europe. We've just had a record um, uh, sell in Belgium." <laughs> um, Go so, start somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great and and as you say, the soundtrack's superb. So for those people who watch our Facebook pages and Twitter, etc. If you can tell me on our Facebook page which other Cramer and Crow film that Jerry Cantrell stars in, um, and see if see if people can put it on our on our Facebook page what the answer is. But Jerry starred; he didn't star. He had a nice role in another Cameron Crow movie. So if anybody can remember it, spot it, uh, we'll give you props at next time's show. How's about that? But hey, what a great choice of a movie and an even better soundtrack, mate. Well done, yeah. you. No, well, you're very welcome. Very welcome. Um, yeah, I like the sound of that. Actually, if anyone does know the answer to that, of course, uh, you can always tweet us at, uh, at FOR dot, sorry, at FOR underscore salute, which is our yeah. Twitter Twitter handle. Anyway, on that note, yep. uh, Brian, I think we should call it a day. And um, one thing I would like to say is... Uh, Thank you to everyone who listens all around the world, literally, which is quite something. Uh, we've got, obviously, listeners in the UK and the US, um, far-flung places, uh, Sweden, as we mentioned earlier, Germany. France. Uh, I think I mentioned France. Oh, did you? Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, as well as India and beyond. So thank you all for listening. Um, keep in touch. Find us on Facebook. For those about to pod, we salute you. Or, of course, as I mentioned, on our Twitter handle, which is at FOR underscore salute. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time, won't we, Brian? We will do. Take care, Matt. See everybody. Bye for now. Rock on. For those about to pod, we salute you. is a Mealy Rogers Media Production. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. We'll see you next time.